from the Great Jarmuth and District Talking Newspaper Association, welcome to online version number 21 of Grapevine. Officially numbered volume 14, number 33, and recorded on the 14th of August, 2020. In the news this week, the 90-year-old Haven Bridge once again shows unreliability. The area's lifeboats are getting increasingly busy and the government's £10 off meal deal seems to be incredibly popular. Hi, I'm Graham, your presenter, and joining me from home is this week's newsreader, Aileen. Local news is a little thin on the ground in our offering this week, so off we go with the first of two parts. This is Aileen recording this week for Grapevine. And it's been a really steamy, hot week. Difficult to sleep, isn't it? Particularly interesting if you if you sleep with someone who likes the curtains closed and the window closed and and I like the curtains open and the windows open but we've been facing this battle for 33 years Nick and I but it is interesting that in most households people like to sleep with certain darkness certain temperature anyway it has been hot and steamy so the news this week is coming for the week ending the 14th of August Hope you're all well. Nice to speak to you. There are concerns over immense disruption coming up to do with the bridge. A problem-plagued bridge will not be opened over concerns it could get stuck in the lifted position and disrupt a seaside town during the busy summer season. The Haven Bridge spanning the River Yare in Great Yarmouth is currently broken due to electrical issues and unable to raise to let large vehicles pass through. Last summer, the 90-year-old bridge froze while open, leading to chaos for motorists and pedestrians. Councillor Martin Wilby, Norfolk County Council Cabinet Member for Highways and Infrastructure and Transport, said the structure requires regular maintenance, but also upgrades to increase its reliability. The council announced last month that refurbishment worth £1.2 will begin after Christmas. But according to Mr Wilby, some upgrades could be brought forward after the council received details from the HSE inspection of the bridge carried out on the 7th of August. Mr Wilby said there is currently a risk if the bridge is lifted it may remain stuck in the open as safety concerns would prevent engineers from directly accessing the switchboards. We are aware of the immense disruption the bridge being stuck open would cause to the town particularly during the busy summer season, he said. With this in mind, we have taken a decision in consultation with Peel Ports who operate the bridge and maintain it on our behalf that the bridge will not be lifted for large river traffic for the time being. Urgent work is underway with Peel Ports to achieve a solution as swiftly as possible. Mr Wilby said the most pressing issue raised by the HSE was a concern relating to the switchboards on site. We understand that the immediate concerns would be allayed by work to install remote isolation switches. The councillor also said the refurbishment work, when completed, will help minimise the inconvenience experienced by road users, residents and businesses alike when Haven Bridge is not working. Now, uh, another casualty of COVID, I'm afraid. 
What should have been a set designing business's most profitable year has turned into its worst. 3D Creations in Galston, which has built sets and props for Game of Thrones, Pirates of the Caribbean and the London West End, has had to close to avoid bankruptcy. Now, owner Ian Westbrook is preparing to auction off his entire creative repertoire. He says everything will be on offer. From Deany's dragon eggs to wigs, pirates, leather hides, graphic design tablets and even industrial microwaves. Founding the company in 1985, his highly skilled team live and breathe theatre and film and has catered for local as well as international venues such as the Hippodrome Circus and the End of the Pier show at Cromer. They have also built arena sets for bands such as Iron Maiden, The Spice Girls and Blur. This year they were due to be working on a film commission worth £1 million at Pinewood Studios. The film, Miracle at the Inn, would have been a remake of Bing Crosby's White Christmas, featuring stars such as Barbara Streisand and Dolly Parton. Mr Westbrook said the film and every other thing I was due to be working on this year has been cancelled. I worked out I could keep the company afloat until Christmas, but with overheads at around 30000 a month, it made more sense to quit while we're behind. I closed the company in June and paid off my 10 full-time employees. The design part of the business will continue to operate from my office in Galston with just me and one other associate. But sadly, the set building side of things cannot go on. For Mr Westbrook then, the auction will be bittersweet, he said. I'm saddened because I wanted to be in this job for the next 10 years. The theatre is such a spider's web, it's not just the buildings or the performers. When a theatre shuts down, so do the light companies, the sound companies, the set designers. It's heartbreaking. Most theatres need to run at 75% capacity to make profit, and this was never going to be feasible under social distancing rules. The auction will will go live until 3pm on August the 26th. Very sad story, indeed. The bosses at Great Yarmouth's Hippodrome Circus said they are excited and ready to go ahead of th- at the expected launch of their summer spectacular on Saturday the 15th, after the original reopening date of August the 1st was pushed back by the government Theatres are expecting to welcome back spectators on Saturday, August the 15th. Peter Jay, who owns the Hippodrome, said reopening was vital to salvage some of the summer season. He said the show is ready, all COVID measures are in place and we have even got the road in front of the circus closed off to permit social distancing for queuing patrons, who will be entering through different entrances. The show, which is fabulous, has no interval to stop toilet congestion and has now had two dress rehearsals which have gone fantastically well. After an agonising two weeks, we're ready and just waiting for the go-ahead from the government. It's been a stressful time, but if we open this Saturday, at least we can salvage some of the summer season. The summer spectacular was scheduled to commence at the beginning of the month, but a last-minute government U-turn delayed the reopening of theatres and left performers in the lurch. Now, a nice story about ducklings. A man concerned over the safety of ducklings at a seafront pond has built a ramp allowing the fledgling fowl access to dry land.
Frank Burden, who is from Great Yarmouth, saw reports last week on social media that the young ducks at the Venetian waterways were having trouble trying to get out of the water. The little ducklings couldn't get out of the pond. If they can't get out of that, they're going to drown, he said. It's probably a foot drop from the bank into the water. On Sunday evening, August the 9th, Mr Burden, a bird watcher since he was a boy, gathered some wood and tools before assembling and installing the ramp. He has returned every day to the pond to check the contraption. It seems to have worked out all right. It's nice to see it all functioning, he said. Mr Burden hopes to propose to Great Yarmouth Borough Council to install a permanent structure. Hopefully they'll let us do that, he said. In a statement, the Borough Council said while the temporary ramp for the ducklings placed at the boating lake by a member of the public is a lovely gesture, its use is very seasonal as young ducklings aren't around all year and therefore having a permanent ramp for ducklings is not a necessity. Reaction to Mr Burden's work has been glowing. It's good to see someone do something that needs doing, one man said. A woman commented, great job, thank you for your kindness. Another said, Not all heroes wear capes. Last summer, Angela Taverner, also from Great Yarmouth, built a ramp for the same purpose, but it was damaged. I tried the whole of last summer to keep a kind of ramp there for them to get out, she said. She added that Mr Burden's ramp looks impressive compared to mine. I only hope the vandals leave it unknown for now. Now it was a busy night for the lifeboat team. Hemsby lifeboat team responded to three call-outs in quick succession, mobilising every resource available to them. Hemsby lifeboat Cox, Daniel Hurd, said the team were impeccable with volunteers working without break until the early hours of the morning. The first call-out on Wednesday night was for Hemsby's inland broads boat to a woman in Wroxham who has experienced chest pain and breathing difficulties on board a vessel. But after launching the rescue boat, Humber Coast Guard, joined by Backton and Winterton Coast Guards, informed the team the woman was on her way to hospital and that the lifeboats were free to stand down. Within minutes, however, Hensby's sea boat was called to rescue people stranded in the water at Winterton, just north of the Gap. The Broads crew went directly to Winterton Gap, with Backton and Winterton Coast Guard teams to offer assistance. In a statement, Hemsby Lifeboat said, While en route, we were informed the casualties had made it to shore, but were in medical difficulty. So members of the crew and Coast Guard administered first aid until the ambulance arrived. We then used our new soft-track vehicle to assist with the evacuation of casualties to the ambulances waiting at Winterton Gap. While that incident was coming to a safe conclusion, the team received a third call-out. Mr Hurd said on the third occasion the entire crew and Backton and Winterton were deployed to California Cliffs to search for a missing and vulnerable male. The alarm had been raised by his father. The boat conducted a shoreline search while the remainder of the crew searched on foot. He said the casualty was located and taken to safety with the father to the boathouse. The police offered advice to the casualty and Hensby rescue cleaned down and prepared for the next emergency. It was an immensely eventful night for all of us and the team did a fantastic job at responding quickly and efficiently. The news comes as lifeboat crews and coast guards have faced one of their busiest weeks in recent times due to the hot weather. 
Advice has been issued by HM Coast Guard about how to stay safe at sea after incidents of drowning were reported at Borsey Country Park and Waxham Sands Beach. Now, I know that there are a lot of people that are out in the sea at the moment, but it is it is risky. Now, a guard of honour has been launched for their lifeboat mechanic. Crew members formed a guard of honour outside Galston lifeboat station on Friday for Ron Mallion, who served as mechanic on the Louis Stevens for over 12 years. The crew, including his younger son Des, carried the coffin, draped with the RNLI flag into the crematorium for the service, led by Galston lifeboat chapman, the Reverend Albert Cadmore. Ron, who was almost 99, was the son of Galston Station signalman Ernest Mallion. Following war service with Air Sea Rescue in India, he worked for Precaster Builders as mechanic and maintenance fitter. After he retired, he came groundsman at Galston Tennis Club. Chairman Roger Burtwistle said, I couldn't have found a more capable person. He could repair anything and keep the club in good shape. Club president Michael Boone also added the tribute. He was our very adaptable groundsman who could turn his hand to most matters. Ron leaves his wife Vera, to whom he has been married for over 72 years, sons Tony and Des, grandchildren Claire, James and Tom, and great-grandsons Teddy and Elliot. It is planned to scatter his ashes at sea from the lifeboat at a later date. What an incredible story. He certainly has done an immense amount. Now, another call for RNLI came to aid two people aboard a yacht that had beached at Galston, and it was the latest in a spate of incidents that the RNLI had to deal with across the East Coast. The volunteer lifeboat crews had been kept busy with numerous calls out in Yarmouth, Lowestoft and Southwold over a five-day period. The Great Yarmouth and Galston Atlantic 75 inshore lifeboat, Pride of Leicester, responded just after 6.45 on Monday morning, August the 10th, to assist a yacht which ran aground on Galston Beach while on passage from Brundle to Southwold. An NLI spokesman said, After arriving at the scene, our crew was told that shortly after leaving Yarmouth Harbour, the yacht had lost power and then ran aground on the beach just south of the harbour mouth. A man and woman aboard the yacht had managed to get safely ashore. The lifeboat and the all-weather lifeboat, Samabetta, returned at 9.30 as a tow line from the small vessel was attached. A spokeswoman added the crew managed to get the vessel afloat and once in deeper water took over and towed the yacht to the town hall quay. Both the Yarmouth and Galston lifeboats have been busy as the previous day the lifeboat was asked to tackle a medical evacuation from an offshore drilling vessel about 41 miles northeast of Great Yarmouth. The lifeboat brought the person who was suffering with appendicitis to shore, with the casualty transferring into an awaiting ambulance. The inshore lifeboat crew was also called out at 11.48 on August the 7th to search for a suspected person in the sea off Galston, but this turned out to be a floating pot marker for fishermen being mistaken for someone in distress. The lifeboat launched again at 7.30 on the 8th to rescue a person in the sea near Galston Golf Course, with the person subsequently taken on board the lifeboat and into an ambulance. The Southwold inshore lifeboat responded on Thursday 
to reports a person was in distress half a mile east of Gun Hill, but the casualty had self-recovered. And on August the 9th, the Southwold lifeboat launched again, and with the help of a paddle boarder, the crew rescued three people from the South Sea at the Harbour Pier in Southwold. And meanwhile, the RNLI lifeboat crew at Lowestoft responded on August the 8th to aid a solo sailor on a 26-foot yacht with engine failure. My goodness, they really have been busy off the, off the coast, these lifeboat people. So many people in peril. Now, there's fears for a cherished railway line. Fears are growing that some of the region's cherished local railway lines could be axed because of dwindling passenger numbers in the wake of the virus. Customers have been slowly returning to trains, but numbers remain down on pre-COVID levels, triggering concern from campaigners over community routes, including the Bitten Line and the Wherry Line in Norfolk and Suffolk. Yesterday, transport writer Christian Walmar revealed he had been told by government sources that public funding would be sliced if another lockdown was enforced or reluctant to use the trains continued. He added that East Anglia was seen as one of the country's most vulnerable areas. Steve Hewitt from East Norfolk Transport Users Association said he would not be surprised to see cuts. He said it's perfectly feasible and as the old adage goes, there is no smoke without fire. The government has already spent billions on COVID and the economy is declining. I must admit it doesn't look good. Losing the wary line would be a tremendous loss. Disastrous, in fact. It would be almost impossible without a car to get to London and no one from Yarmouth would ever go further than Norwich. For years we have campaigned for improved services but there is no sense they are coming back. A lack of improvement simply makes it easier to cut what is already there. Mr Walmore said the government simply cannot afford to continue running nearly empty trains in some areas. Official advice only changed in June to allow anyone to travel by train if they were wearing a face covering. But David Bill, a campaigner for rail improvements with Norfolk Orbital Railway, said he believed normal service was close to resuming. He added there will be some reluctance to use trains and we have to be careful. But it is only a matter of time before we return to normal life. We've got to think that more and more people have realised just how attractive Norfolk is as a place to visit, so we will need railways to keep the local economy going. Over the autumn, rail companies are expected to start promoting trains as a safe way to travel. A survey backed by the Rail Safety and Standards Board has found that someone travelling for an hour on a train has a 1 in 11,000 chance of contracting the virus. Greater Anglia did not respond to the latest fears but said previously it believed that by emphasising safety measures and promoting rail as an easy and comfortable way to travel, passengers would eventually return. Now, Weatherspoons has had a, 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 a positive test for the virus. Staff members went into quarantine after an employee tested positive at a Galston pub and they had not shown any symptoms. Last month, an employee tested positive for the virus at Weatherspoon's William Adams pub, prompting the self-isolation of eight further colleagues who they had been in close contact with. Two weeks on, Weatherspoon spokesman Eddie Gershon said that no other staff members, including those currently isolating, had shown any symptoms. 
He said the one staff member who tested positive will continue to follow government guidance until they are safe to return to work. No other staff members, including those isolating as a result of the close contact, have reported symptoms, nor have any of them tested positive. After the case was reported, an environmental services team visited the premises and found that the pub had been thoroughly cleaned. Officials said all correct seizures had been followed and the pub was allowed to continue trading, warning that they could change this at any time if more cases were confirmed. The pub was then visited again on August the 11th as a follow-up, with Mr Gershon stressing that environmental health services remain happy with the chain's COVID-secure operating plan. Mr Gershon previously said that 29 members of staff had been identified as being on site at the same time as the infected worker, but that only eight had been advised to isolate for 14 days. He said the advice Weatherspoon has received from the authorities indicates that those employees working with someone who tests positive should self-isolate if they have been within two metres for 15 minutes or more. For example, working next to someone on the bar or in the kitchen. In these circumstances, it has not been the advice of the environmental health authorities to close the premises. In a statement, Great Yarmouth Borough Council said members of its environmental services visited the pub on the 2nd of August. It said the council officer confirmed that COVID-secure measures were in place in line with government guidance and the correct procedures have been followed, including with respect to thorough cleansing and the staff member self-isolating. A spokesman for the Department of Health said customers would only be contacted if they were deemed to be at risk and that anyone who was worried should only arrange a test if they displayed symptoms. Thanks, Aileen. Well, our lead story this week was about the poor old Haven Bridge, although perhaps poor is the wrong word to use, with around £1.2 million about to be lavished on the old girl. Anyway, I thought that I would take a look at those who came before and found a piece online. Write a 600-year, or very nearly, history of the Haven Bridge. Apparently the first bridge to cross the River Yare at Southtown was erected in 1427. There had been a horse, cattle and foot ferry crossing at this point since at least 1261, and in fact a foot ferry still continued to operate until the end of the 19th century. The first bridge was replaced in 1553 by a wooden drawbridge, which is recorded as having been carried away by a high tide in 1570. A second drawbridge was built in the same year at a cost of £403, 15 shillings and 9 pence. Just how busy the port of Great Yarmouth was can be noted from the fact that 700 vessels were recorded as being in the haven on one day in 1597. The problems with silting up at the harbour's mouth and in the rivers Yare, Bure and Waveney, were a constant problem which continued during the 17th century when further trenches were cut through the sandbars which formed. We must assume that the 1570-built wooden structure was repaired as necessary 
up until 1721, when an act was passed which stated that half of the amount of harbour dues received by the port were to be spent on improving the haven and its piers and jetties. A quarter should be spent on deepening and cleaning the three rivers and also repairing the bridge and public quays at Yarmouth, and that the remaining quarter was to be used in cleansing and deepening Braden. Just for the shovel. Presumably, the repairs were carried out to the bridge as allegedly it remained standing until 1786, when it was then replaced by bridge number four, another wooden drawbridge, which cost just over £2,000 to build. It seemed probable that whilst the so-called third bridge would have been much less substantial than those following, it must have had some very extensive attention at times during its claimed 216-year lifespan. In 1845, two tenders were received for replacing the bridge with a more solid structure. The first, from Mr Pito, quoted costs of over £32,000. The second, received from Mr W.S. Simpson, at just over £19,000. The Norfolk Mercury reported on the 19th of July 1845 that Mr Simpson's tender had been accepted by the port's commissioners, but the plans had been postponed as he had not complied with their terms. In 1849, the Yarmouth Bridge Bill was passed and work finally began on the construction of the new bridge. It seemed as though the old bridge was left in situ whilst the new one was being built, as the Norwich Mercury of the 8th of May 1852 reported that the coffer dam at the new bridge works had blown up, whilst the following day the old bridge had been on fire. The works were once again stopped in the September of 1852 due to quicksands. Five years after construction had commenced, the New Haven Bridge was opened to the public on October the 21st 1854. The total costs were around £60,000 and 2,600 tonnes of stone and 300 tonnes of iron were used. The central lifting span rested on two stone piers and each arm weighed approximately 45 tonnes. The increase in population and the development of road vehicles during the early part of the 20th century meant that yet another new bridge would be needed. The old bridge closed in 1928 and a temporary wooden structure was erected to allow access in and out of Great Yarmouth until the new one was built. That bridge, the current Haven Bridge, was then opened by His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales on the 21st of October 1930 and thousands of people lined the quays and rooftops to witness the event. The double bascule lifting bridge measures approximately 230 feet in length, provides a navigation channel of 88 feet in width and was manufactured by Sir William Arrol & Co Limited whose portfolio also included the Fourth Rail Bridge, Tower Bridge and the Nile Bridge at Cairo. The 650-tonne lifting arms are raised electrically, although they can be operated manually in the event of a power failure.
As we know, the bridge suffered severe congestion problems during the 1970s and 80s until the opening of the Braden Road Bridge in 1986. After 70 years of service, the Haven Bridge was restored for the millennium and new lighting was added at that time. Now, at just 10 years off its 100th birthday, I suppose we can forgive the few quirks in operation which happen during the course of each year and hope that its upcoming refurbishment and the third river crossing, which may give it some respite, will help towards ensuring that its centenary in 2030 sees it proudly serving both the town and the river traffic still. Now, most of this article was taken from the website Broadland Memories, which is the copyright of Carol Gingell. I've not had the opportunity to ask her permission to use this, but I hope that she will forgive this small transgression. There's actually much, much more on both the broads and the local rivers on her website, and if you have the capability to access this, you could find it fascinating. Just type Broadland Memories into a Google search to find it. Well, I hope you found that of some interest. And uh, we go now to the rest of the news with Aileen. Now, a sea sculpture is used to warn beachgoers. A sculpture of a seal with a flying ring stuck round its neck will tour beaches this summer as campaigners seek to raise awareness of the threat posed by the plastic toys. The Norfolk-based Friends of Horsey Seals charity launched the Flying Rings campaign last year after a series of the blubbery marine mammals came to harm around the coastline of East Anglia. A seal nicknamed Mrs Frisbee was rescued at Horsby Beach in 2017 with a flying disc around her neck, which was wedged tight and cut into her as she continued to grow. At least two more seals with flying discs round their neck were taken to an RSPCA centre at each winds near King's Lynn for treatment by early 2019. In each case, staff cut the plastic ring off and nursed the weakened seal back to health. Friends of Horsey Seals said that it has this year stepped up its leaflet and poster campaign with the creation of a full-size seal sculpture with a ring around its neck to use as an educational tool. It has nicknamed the sculpture Seely, and the base of the model features flying rings that have been cut in half. The volunteer group said that the model, made by a local artist and funded by Cromer Town Council, will be taken to beaches to urge people not to discard flying rings. Alison Charles, the manager of the RSPCA, said we are not anti-fun, but I wish people would take more care when they go to the beach. It's just horrendous. I removed a ring from one seal and I thought her head was going to fall off because the wound was so deep and so horrible. This poor animal had suffered because someone had bought a cheap flying ring. It comes after a similar campaign was launched by the Friends of Horsey Seals last year, after three animals were taken in and nursed back to health after a ring became embedded in their neck. Meanwhile, many more are said to be suffering and evading capture. Really sad story that, because actually these discs they're talking about are frisbees. Now a cordon has been lifted after officers dealt with an unexploded device. A cordon was put in place following reports of an unexploded device at a car park on the coast and this has now been lifted. 
Police were called just after 9 on Tuesday, August the 11th, after the device was discovered by a member of the public in the beach car park at Horsey Gap, between Hemsby and Haysborough. The car park had been closed and explosive ordnance disposal officers were called to the scene. After careful examination, the device was not deemed to be live and was believed to be an old mortar shell. The device was taken for safe disposal. The car park is now open. Officers have thanked the public for their patience and cooperation while the incident was resolved. Now, uh, there's a lot of boats about on the broads and it's particularly tricky if you get stuck. A husband and wife who are boating along the coast are stuck on holiday due to a broken bridge in Great Yarmouth. Alan Coggs, 71, and his wife Carolyn were due to return home on August the 7th after spending five days on their yacht. The plan was to sail back up the Riviere under the Haven Bridge before mooring their boat at a marina in Brundle but at the last minute they were told the structure could not be lifted to allow their vessel to pass through. The couple who live in Briston, outside Holt, have been stranded since then in Lowestoft Marina. Mr Cog said, We don't know when we're going to get back. We are having to pay for mooring fees here, and we are just trying to get home. We had come to Lowestoft for one night. The next day we were planning to go through the bridge. Norfolk County Council has confirmed the bridge is unable to lift due to electrical issues. A spokesperson said we are working with Peel Ports who operate the bridge and also maintain it on behalf of the County Council to resolve the issue as swiftly as possible. Last summer also saw problems when the bridge became stuck in the lifted position leading to long delays for motorists and pedestrians. But in July the County Council announced a £1.2 million refurbishment is due to begin after Christmas. The latest problem has also affected other boat owners with at least two yachts stuck in Brundle, their owners having eventually returned home by train to Lowestoft on Monday the 10th. Mike Waters and Dr Seath, who have been travelling the broads in separate boats, said the experience had put them off coming back to the area. Dr. Seath said, we will certainly not be returning. We're completely stuck, barricaded. We can't get out. This is costing us money in mooring fields. He said the only way to take the boats home would be to remove the sails, masts and rigging and take them under St. Olive's Bridge. That is probably a week or more's work and quite a lot of expense, he said. Mr. Waters said the situation means he is stuck in limbo. It's put us off coming again. And a road has been temporarily closed. Temporary traffic management measures could be introduced as part of coronavirus restrictions in Great Yarmouth. Norfolk County Council is proposing to introduce temporary restrictions later this month on a section of St George's Road. The County Council is proposing a temporary traffic management measure relating to the COVID restrictions. A public notice states the restrictions proposed would see the use of vehicles of St George's Road from its junction with St Peter's Road with its junction of Lancaster Road being temporarily prohibited. It adds the temporary traffic management measures will be in place from August the 22nd till September the 20th. Drivers will be able to use the alternative route via St Peter's Road, Marine Parade and Lancaster Road. The public notice adds that if any vehicle contravenes this temporary order, 
a penalty charge could be payable. Restaurants and cafes in Norfolk have seen a supersonic start to the government's money-off scheme, with some eateries in tourist towns overwhelmed with demand. August saw the introduction of the Eat Out to Help Out initiative, which offers 50% of food and soft drinks on Mondays, Tuesdays and Wednesdays throughout the month of August. It has largely been met with a rush of bookings, with much of the industry now looking at jam-packed calendars. In particular, businesses in tourist areas hit by a combination of the heat wave, a rise in staycations and the summer holiday have faced enormous pressure. At the King's Arms in Fleg, the team created a special menu to ease pressures on staff, having initially said they would run the offer across their usual menus. General Manager Rebecca Adams said it's been quite testing. On the first day, we had about 20 walk-ins on top of our bookings and we're running at limited tables already. We weren't expecting the level of people that were coming in. It was incredibly busy. But she said despite best efforts to adapt throughout the week, they decided to create the set menu to ensure they maintained standards and secured the repeat custom the scheme was designed for. She said she had heard of other businesses serving until 11 o'clock at night to cope with demand. At Bramford's in Caister, Tyrone Harold said their efforts to increase their outdoor seating space to make guests feel safe had in effect created a monster. He posted on the restaurant's Facebook to say it has been a massive learning curve and that they had essentially turned Bramford's, which usually takes 90 covers, into a 300-seater restaurant without really realising the implications. They said they knew of restaurants dropping the scheme, but they said they would continue and emphasise the importance of booking in advance, with a bookings coordinator on hand to monitor the numbers of customers there. Daniel Smith, chef patron at the Ingham Swan, the Wildebeest, and the co-owner of Warwick Street Social in Norwich, said the offer had made every day feel like the weekend. It has driven people to other days of the week, it said. It has boosted trade on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday across all three sites. As a business owner, it's a great thing. Every day is like a weekend, which is phenomenal. And I can confirm at the Imperial we have had the same situation. Now, there's going to be some delays because of drainage work. Drivers are being warned to expect delays on a busy road as repair work is carried out for two weeks. It comes as Norfolk County Council carries out essential drainage maintenance works on Crab Lane in Bradwell. The work is set to be carried out between August the 10th and Friday the 21st. According to the roadworks map, delays are likely. It states the drainage repairs and minor surfacing work will take place along the entire length of the road with a two-way traffic control signal in operation. A county council spokesman said the works will involve installation of new gullies and replacement of old existing gully pots between Chestnut Avenue and Headington Close. Access to properties will be maintained while the work is underway. Now the council is set to knock on doors as it takes charge of the Norfolk Test and Trace. Council officers could be set to knock on doors to tell people to self-isolate after the government announced a major shift towards a local test and trace system to tackle outbreaks. Councils are to take on a bigger role in tracing COVID-19 
after the government announced it would be cutting the national tests and trace workforce by 6,000. The UK system will drop from 18,000 to 12,000 callers. Instead, Public Health England will provide a dedicated team to local authorities to track cases and alert their contacts in a renewed bid to ramp up systems to halt the spread. Councils could be knocking on the doors of people known to have had close contact more than 15 minutes within two metres with someone who has tested positive to tell them to self-isolate. Norfolk County Council Director of Public Health, Louise Smith, said we have been consistently working closely with our Public Health England colleagues throughout the pandemic. The team has already done some very good work with the data to allow us to understand our local cases and link them together, and it's very close to reaching our 80% target. Dr Smith said details of the scheme would be finalised in the coming weeks ahead of the government's August 24th deadline to launch the localised service. The news comes after Dr Smith last week warned that cases of coronavirus in the county had clear connections through family and social contact. She urged Norfolk residents to follow government guidance and self-isolate if they or anyone in their household showed symptoms. She added, we welcome this announcement of a more integrated, localised approach. With the NHS Test and Trace and Public Health England following successful trials in other areas and we look forward to extending our partnership to ensure as many people as possible in our communities are contact traced. It's extremely positive that we are getting more information about contact tracing and that we are also going to be offered more access including patient identifiable data to the Public Health England database. The detail of how many people will be in our team and the processes around that are being worked out in the coming days. Now, there has been no further cases reported at a nursery where two children tasted positive. The two children and two members of staff at the House of Fun Nursery in Galston tested positive for the virus last week. All four were part of the same bubble at the nursery. Kim Collins, the nursery director, said we have had no more cases since those four. This is a very stressful and challenging time for everyone, but our parents have been very supportive and praised us for our swift response and communication. The nursery was closed on Friday, August the 7th, to allow for a deep clean of the site before reopening on Monday. In a statement on Facebook, Mrs Collins said, We have taken the decision ourselves to close after a deep clean to enable a full 72 hours clear before we all go back. We now have two children and two staff tested positive, all within the same bubble. This bubble was automatically closed for 14 days. Under the continued advice and guidance from Public Health and the County Council, the other bubbles remain open. Staff from the other bubbles who have had their test back have been negative, as have any children so far. We have also been informed of three negative tests having been received back from children in the isolated bubble. This will be an ongoing process, but if there is any change that will adversely affect your child's bubble, then we will obviously make you aware. Between July the 31st and August the 7th, 15 new cases were reported around Great Yarmouth. The outbreak at the nursery was the second in Galston in recent weeks, with eight members of staff at the William Adams pub in self-isolation 
after a colleague tested positive. Norfolk's Director of Public Health, Dr Smith, said we have done some very good and detailed work with the data to allow us to understand these local cases and link them together. I would reassure people living in the Galston and Yarmouth area that we are confident we are not seeing unexplained circulation of the virus in the general population locally. We continue to monitor the localised outbreak at the nursery. However, I would warn that the situation could change fast and local people must remain vigilant. The key message remains that if anyone in your household is displaying symptoms, you must isolate and get tested. Testing is free and open to anyone with symptoms. It is crucial to stop the spread of the virus that everyone does this. So I hope everyone has a good few days in this hot and steamy and stormy weather. Take care. I will speak to you next month and maybe we'll have a few other items that are not COVID related. However, I suspect it's going to be with us for some time. Take care. Bye for now. Well, that's it for yet another edition of Grapevine. And we have to tell you that Grapevine Volume 40, number 33, is copyright 2020 of the Great Yarmouth and Districts Talking Newspaper Association. The content, in the main, is adapted from the publications of Art and Limited and is used with their consent. However, the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association accept responsibility for editorial decisions made for this recording. From Aileen and myself, it's bye for now. Desney will be back with us next week when we hope that you will give us the pleasure of your company for yet another edition of your local news roundup. In the meantime, have a great week and keep well and safe. Bye for now. Thank you.